Well, good morning, everybody. Let me, uh, all right. Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to share with you this morning. And over the Christmas season, we've been spending some time kind of reflecting on the Christmas theme of Emmanuel. The, the meaning of Emmanuel actually means God with us. And so we've been reflecting on what it means that by Emmanuel, God with us. And often in this season, in everyday life, we're, we're so caught up with things that we have to accomplish. We, we have our to-do list. We got like gifts to buy. We got to pick up food if you're going to host a meal. We've got all these different things to accomplish. And then we've also got our everyday life and our to-do lists that happen uh, on, on the, just the everyday life of things. And we forget that God is actually present with us always. Now, the theological term is the word omnipresence, the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere all the time, that he is aware of all things and that he's with us, that his, we don't need to pray his presence into us uh, in the sense of asking him to come. He's already here. Now, the devil on the other side, he's not omnipresent. The devil can't be everywhere all the time because the devil's a created being, but God is everywhere all the time. We call that his omnipresence. I want to do a, a little experiment with you. Let's just close our eyes. I know, I know your neighbor might like draw something on you or things like that, but it's going to be okay. Just close your eyes for a minute. And I just want to get the room as silent as we can possibly get it. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen for something that you didn't know existed. A sound or something that you weren't aware of while we were playing music, singing songs and clapping. So let's just take that moment. Do you hear something that you didn't realize was there? Were you actually able to clear your mind enough that you could begin to hear anything other than what your mind was saying? I know what I hear when we close our eyes and we get quiet is I'm hearing the fan of the projector above me, which I'm not usually aware exists. Or maybe you heard the, the door open and the fact that the door creaks it needs to be fixed. <laughs> Did you hear something that during worship time you didn't realize that it was there? Folks, it's amazing how we go through the day and we miss so much of what is actually going on around us. It's sad, really, just how asleep we are to some of the wonderful things that surround our everyday lives. Often our, our daily tasks actually consume our thoughts and our awareness. Other times our brains dwell on the past or the future so much that our minds are spinning and we miss most of the amazing moments that God has given us in this present day, this present moment. In, in our Western culture, and this is very specific to Westerners, it's not like this across the world, but in our Western culture, we spend so much time uh, 
thinking about the past and planning for the future that I think we often miss the amazing moments of right now. Right in this very moment. So let me, let me ask you something. And you're going to hear me say this throughout the sermon. Let me ask you this simple question. Are you awake right now? Like, how do you know this isn't just some kind of horrible nightmare that you're experiencing, that somehow you landed at Evergreen Heights Christian Fellowship and you have this crazy chubby bald guy in front of you, and and you're like, what is going on? I need to wake up. Or this could be your greatest dream ever, right? You arrived at Evergreen Heights and you have this crazy skinny bald guy. (laughs) Like, are you awake and how are you aware that you're actually awake? A theologian by the name of Gregory Boyd, he's a pastor and a brilliant theologian, he says this, he says, the surest sign that you're awake is that you're aware of your surroundings. Makes sense, doesn't it? Like, I'm awake means I'm actually aware of what's happening around me, and the more aware of your surroundings you are, the more awake you are. And he says, the surest sign that you're asleep is that you're not. So how awake are you? Are you completely aware of your surroundings or are you consumed with thoughts of the past or the future? Are you consumed so much with your cell phone that you might be unaware of your surroundings? I'm guilty of this. Do you you realize that as you were on your phone, maybe your son or daughter was looking at you with pride at something they just did and you completely missed it? You see, that is actually being awake, but being asleep to the awareness of the presence around you. Because these single individual things, the past, the future, the cell phone, these things, they consume our way of thinking. And we're often physically awake, yet we're completely sleeping. We're missing an awareness of everything around us. Are you completely aware of your surroundings or are you consumed with thoughts of the past or the future. Often, our thoughts do this to us, don't they? We get consumed about what's next. Like how many people, if you don't put up your hand, but if you're really honest, like as we transition in the service, you're like looking at your watch going, okay, the the restaurant opens at this time. And so, and what I mean is, is like I'm not making fun of you. It's just that we're always thinking not now, but like what's next? What do I have to accomplish next? What is the next thing that I have to do? Or we kind of wallow in the past and we let the past affect our current moment. Or we constantly obsess with the future, which also affects our current moment. And what we miss is the current moment. We lose awareness of what's actually happening around us right now. I actually believe that it's this past and future obsession that we as human beings are consumed with that causes us to not experience the simple moments that God gives us every day. I always pick on the phrase, the Bible says, right? You hear me do that all the time because we spend so much time saying, you know, the Bible says this, and we condemn somebody for something they do, or we say the Bible says this, and we have some doctrine that we begin to fight over in the Christian church, you know. Uh, There's all kinds of those sort of things. But I find it really interesting, as somebody who didn't grow up in the church, but who has, you know, studied the the, the Bible to a doctorate level, uh, that, that 
looks and says, well, the Bible says a lot of things and most of it we don't actually live. Let me tell you what the Bible says about thinking about the past and obsessing about the future. Because it addresses it. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, listen to what Isaiah says about the past. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And Matthew 6, verse 34, after Jesus has just told us to seek first his kingdom, then he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you see how we spend so much time arguing about what the Bible says that we don't actually live in the presence of the Bible? Because the Bible says, stop obsessing about the past. Don't dwell on the past. You can... How many people own a DeLorean? Anybody seen the movie Back to the Future? Right, The DeLorean is the time machine that Michael J. Fox gets into, and he goes back in time. And in the next movie, he goes forward in time. Go figure. I'm pretty sure that most of us don't. You may own a DeLorean. That's quite possible. But I'm pretty sure your DeLorean is only in the present right now. It can't switch between the future and the past. So you cannot change the past. It's actually impossible For you to change the past. And so why would you dwell on it? And so scripture says, forget the former things. You can't change them anyway. So don't dwell on the past. Don't allow your past to control your right now. But we do, don't we? Or we're so obsessed with the future and setting our future up that that, that we totally miss the right now. Greg Boyd tells a story in his book, Perfect Presence, or Presence Perfect, it's one of those, of him running through the woods and just all of a sudden becoming aware of the crickets and the things around him, something that he'd never been aware of because he's training for a marathon, which tells me he's not mentally stable. But (laughs) listen to what he says as he's in the woods. He says, I realized that my trivial self-centered mental chatter about the past and future. So he is connecting his mental chatter, his obsession about the past and the future as self-centered. Self-centered mental chatter about the past and the future. He says, it's like a dark cloud blocking the sun. And it had kept me from seeing the glory of God that surrounded me every second of every day. You see, being absorbed in the past or future causes us to miss the wonder of the present. And the present is where God is. Boyd goes on to say this. He says, the present moment is all that is real. Think about that. The past and the future, they're not real. The present moment is all that is actually real. The past is gone. The future is not yet. We remember the past and we anticipate the future, but we always do so in the present. Reality is always now. And the single most important aspect of reality is that God is present in every moment. To forget that God is present in any given moment is to forget the most important aspect of that 
moment. Folks, I truly believe that our obsession with the past and the future is exactly what deters us from being aware of God being present right now. And it's caused us, I think the ramifications of that, this obsession with thinking of the past and the future, I, and always kind of having all of that, you know, the, the list folks, and all. It, there's nothing wrong with that, but it becomes our obsession. And I think that the way that that starts to shape itself in our faith is that we start to, to make moments for God. I think in our Western culture, we've actually trained ourselves to do this. We make moments for God, but then we live our lives separate from those moments. Let me unpack that a bit. Think about it. When you come to church on Sunday, we give God a whopping one hour and 15 minutes, almost to the T. Right? If anything, we're actually sometimes five minutes short. But we give God a whopping one hour and 15 minutes of spiritual work. We're being spiritual right now. Isn't it awesome? And then we structure our faith to have devotional times and times of prayer. And these are the spiritual things in our lives. And then after we've had the spiritual things in our lives, our, our list of spiritual to-dos, then we go about our day completely consumed with our past and future and we forget God and work toward our list of tasks for the day. Our thoughts are consumed with getting that new job or buying that new house or closing that deal at work. And these are the realities of our right now, completely excluding God from the moment, making God someone we visit on occasion. So we, we compartmentalize our faith in many ways. We visit God, we do spiritual things, and then we go about living our lives separate from that. Essentially, folks, we go about living like functional atheists, even though we claim Christianity. We pray and we worship on occasion, but these are special times isolated from our normal, secular, day-to-day -day life. So we be spiritual, and then we live. And we separate it. We're not including God in all of it. Yet, God is omnipresent. He's in all of it. He's present with us. If we were to really be honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that a lot of us would struggle with the practice of the presence of God. We struggle to make God the center of our lives in every single moment of our life. We live separate from God you know, this is how I know this. We make our own decisions and we live under the power of our own competencies. Rather than living life with God always, we live with God, we don't live with God in the right now, which is our only real moment. We compartmentalize God, we visit God. But the thing is, as scripture, the Bible doesn't talk about God as an occasional companion. Someone that we talk to sometimes or turn to when we need him. That's not actually what the Bible says at all. Scripture actually says that Jesus Christ is our Lord, our King. That when we profess belief in him, that we are giving up our whole self to him. By making Jesus our Lord, we are surrendering our whole lives to him. Every moment of our lives, Jesus is Lord over. 
So the call in scripture for us to practice the presence of God, a lot of people say to me, you know, those people who've practiced God's presence, who do those spiritual practices, like that's for the, like the monks and like the holy people and maybe like one out of 50 pastors does it occasionally. That was true. Um, we think it's like for these hyper-spiritual people, that it's a hyper-spiritual exercise, but actually, folks, it's the core of what the Bible means by surrendering our life to Christ. Practicing God's presence, being aware of God always, is the core of what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. It is basic discipleship 101. You see, we make discipleship all about learning, but if you learn all kinds of things, but you never live life in his presence, every moment in his presence, where you give him every moment, you speak to him every moment, we're missing the concept of how the Bible defines discipleship. A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who's professed Jesus as Lord and lives their life under that lordship. The life that we surrender to God is the life we've lived each and every moment since we initially made the pledge to surrender our life. What I mean by this is that the only life we have to surrender to Christ is the one we live moment by moment. The only way that you can surrender your life to Christ is not about a past time at five years old when mom and dad led me through the sinner's prayer. It's actually right now in this moment. If I'm going to submit my whole self to Christ, I have to choose in this moment to give him my life. It's not a past moment and it's not a future moment. It's a moment right now. But here's the challenge. Many of us Christians pledge our lives to Jesus, but then we spend 99% of our time excluding him from our awareness. We only become aware of him in those special spiritual moments, and we're not aware of him in every moment. So the question we have to ask ourselves is simple. In this moment, are we aware of God's presence? In this moment, right now, does God reign as king over your life? Not later, not before you came here, but right now, does God reign over your life? Are we in this moment living within God's kingdom? And then the question is, is how do we set aside our tendency to compartmentalize our faith and our everyday life, to separate those things? So the New Testament, folks, actually gives us some guidance with this. Go figure. The Bible is going to walk you through how to go about living your life in the presence of Jesus. It, it very simply lays this stuff out for us. And so I'm just going to pull out uh, three, four, five things uh, that are going to kind of try to practically walk us through what it is that I'm talking about. And the starting point, scripturally speaking, is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says to his disciples this, and he's saying this to us right now, but seek first. Okay, back up. Seek first. Jesus is about to say, this is your number one priority. 
in every waking moment of your life, this is your number one priority. Seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. But, but what if my priority was to get my shopping done? Like, what if when I wake up, my feet hit the ground and I'm like, yes, I've got things to do today and I feel energized. I had a good sleep. I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to accomplish that day. Can I be seeking first the kingdom or am I seeking first my kingdom? Well, that depends. Let's move on. Because he says, but seek first his kingdom. Make the kingdom your priority, your number one thing always, and his righteousness. And then he says, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, the Bible's very clear because the next verse is he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't let tomorrow consume your thinking. Seek first his kingdom and then he will provide for you. But functional atheists don't believe that he actually provides. And so we don't live in a way that we recognize his provisions. Instead, we provide for ourselves. You see how this happens? So Jesus tells us that our lives should be shaped around seeking his kingdom. And this isn't something that we can do moment by moment and then forget the next moment. And this means that we have to quite literally reorient our priorities. We can't pretend we're obeying Jesus and then forget the next. We can't pretend that we're seeking the kingdom because we did it yesterday. We checked off a box. For a couple minutes, I seeked first his kingdom, and now I seek mine. That's not how this works. That's not how scripture lays this out for us. In other words, we can't seek his kingdom for the few moments of our devotion in the morning and then focus our entire rest of the day on a job promotion or a family matter or a new house. Seek first the kingdom of God means that we are always seeking first his kingdom in every moment, in the midst of the job promotion, in the midst of the family matters, in the midst of the new house. We're seeking his kingdom first in every moment, in everything we do. We're seeking Jesus. It means that living under God's reign is our highest priority before our feet hit the floor. And this implies that we remember that God exists and that yielding to his will is our supreme objective, even as we strive for other less important goals. If the most important goal is seeking his kingdom, then everything else is less important than that. But think about how we orient our lives completely opposite. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to help us out here. So he's going to help us with some of the things that Jesus said. And he says that followers of Jesus are to live in and be led by the Spirit. In Galatians 15, verses 16 to 18, he says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, Notice he says, so I say walk by the Spirit, and then this is what happens when you walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if I'm not walking by the Spirit, probably the desires of the flesh are getting a hold of me. But when I am walking by the Spirit, the the desires of the flesh do not. He says, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. In our culture, right? Don't you dare tell me what I can and can't do. 
I want to do what I want. I want to make my choices. Well, the Bible says you don't get to. We give up our rights to have rights when we profess Christ as our Lord. To live, this, again, this isn't something that we can do moment by moment. Because he says, if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. You're actually freed to live life in the Spirit. But we can't do this. It's, this isn't like a moment we give Jesus. We don't go, okay, I'm going to like put on the Spirit moment. And then I'm going to go to work and forget about the Spirit. That's not what being led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, that's not what living into the Spirit means. To live by the Spirit, it means that we submit to the Spirit in the present moment. For the only life that we have to submit to the Spirit is the one that we're living right now. Folks, I'm working under the premise that right now is the only thing that's real. So to live Paul's teaching... It means that we have to learn to cultivate a surrendered awareness of the Holy Spirit moment by moment. And then Paul teaches us, actually it's not Paul, it's John, and it's Jesus speaking. He teaches us as his followers to remain in him. So any of you that were at the funeral this week, you heard all about this. John 15, verses 4 to 5, Jesus says this, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Your own competencies, your own abilities, you're not going to bear fruit by yourself. It must remain in the vine. The believers are the branch. Jesus is the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the problem. Apart from him, we do manage to accomplish things, but they're only fruitful to us. And the fruit that he's talking about is a life that is full of love, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's the fruit that he's talking about. And the Greek word that translates in in the NIV as remain uh, is the word meno, M-E-N-O. And it means to take up residence or to make your dwelling place. Jesus makes it clear that we are to attach ourselves to the vine and attach ourselves to him permanently. Not just on special occasions. You can't be like attached to the vine and then separate yourself from the vine, go about doing your thing, and then come back and reattach in another moment to the vine. He says you have to be attached to the vine permanently so that the sap can flow through you, that's the Holy Spirit, and empower you to be fruitful. You have to stay attached to the vine. The vine is the source of life. And without the presence of the vine, the branch can't be alive. After I preached Ryan's funeral this week, I drove past all kinds of houses and couldn't help but see all the dead branches lying on the lawn. Lifeless. Useless. The passage says, just ready to be thrown in the fire. We have to be attached to the vine, not sometimes, but all the time in order to truly live. Now, Paul, he steps this up a notch, I I think. 
He gives us amazing advice in 1 Thessalonians. And I, I love this advice. And actually, Paul says that this advice that I'm giving you, this is actually God's will for us. How many people are interested in God's will for them? Okay, Paul's going to tell you what it is. It's amazing. He says, rejoice always. That's God's will for you. Pray continually. Like, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't call a prayer meeting. We didn't call a moment with God. Pray continually. How am I supposed to do that? But that's God's will for our life. To rejoice always, to pray continually. And then listen, listen to what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. Think about that, folks. God's will for your life is to be thankful when your life sucks. In all circumstances, be thankful. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that countercultural to how we go about living our past and future life? It's funny because we're seeking happiness and we can't seem to find it. And yet, Paul just said, you want to find it? Here it is. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you. Now, I'm not saying that we don't set aside time for concentrated dialogue with God. I'm not saying that we don't go into our prayer closet and spend some, you know, kind of specific time. You would do that in any relationship, wouldn't you? Like, I'm occasionally going to take my wife out for dinner and spend some specific time with her. But I'm also going to be aware that Carrie is my wife all the time. Right? So this is how this works. We're going to spend some concentrated time dialoguing with God, just like Jesus did. But the actual biblical model of prayer is that it should permeate all of our life. That's what Paul's saying. Pray continually, or some of your versions will pray without ceasing. Brother Lawrence, who is a monk who lives in a monastery, he said this. He said, we should aspire to make our entire life a sustained conversation with God. This becomes easier, folks, the more you become aware of God's presence with you. I... I, I'm going to share a little secret. You, you might have seen this happen. Some people around town, I think they think I'm insane. <laughs> because this is a practice that I have worked extremely hard to saturate my life with, to pray continually, to be always talking to God. And so sometimes I'm like paying for something at Walmart and I'm chatting with Jesus and occasionally it accidentally comes out loud. But it's because I want my life to be that praying continually, that constant conversation with Jesus. And our lives, they need to be saturated with these conversations. They need to become normal, even though it seems not normal. And the only way for this to happen is for you to become aware of God's presence more often. Now Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says that we should take every thought Captive. We demolish arguments, he said, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
Oh, boy. Now, in Romans, he, he uh, gives us a little bit more. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world. You see this contrast. There's a pattern of the world that we do tend to conform to, and I would argue and say that that's our obsession with the past and the future. What he says is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, learn to think differently. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will renew your mind so you can begin to think differently, not like the world thinks, but like God thinks. And then he says, this is actually what you need because then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, if this isn't how your life is oriented, you are going to have a very difficult time testing what God's will is in your life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, Paul says we're, we're to take every thought we have captive to Christ and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I don't know about you, but my brain never stops. Like, it, like it, it never stops. I can't read an hour before bedtime because if I read an hour before bedtime, in my, now part of my problem is I don't read like romance novels. Like, like I read books with substance. Anyway. And it's usually theological in nature because I'm a little obsessed there. And so, like, I read something, and then my brain all night long is unpacking this theological concept. Now, I get some wonderful answers, and sometimes I wake up like, wow, right? But my brain is all, it is constantly thinking, the only way that I can shut my brain down is to watch a television show. Now, imagine if the only thing that shuts my brain down is to watch a television show, just how shut down many of our brains actually are. I struggle to shut off my mind. I struggle with silence because my mind is always thinking through some concept or thinking through this or thinking through that. And sometimes it's the past. Sometimes it's the future. Sometimes it's the right now, but it's just going all the time. And they, they can't medicate it. There's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> I have to actually consciously, folks, slow my mind down and make sure that Christ is the one who is on my mind all the time. Now, this is connected with praying continually, always thinking about God and being aware of his presence. So when I'm thinking about Christ always, then I'm able to take captive my thoughts. And through obedience of walking by the Spirit, you see how all this is interconnected? I can then discern that my thoughts honor God or don't honor God. And this is every thought that's happening in this crazy mind. Now, I don't mean analyzing every thought, making sure it's submitted to Christ. If that was my reality, I probably couldn't function because I'd be analyzing way too much. What I mean is, is that, and, and I actually think if I was like, Center, fo focusing so much on whether my thoughts are su submitted to Christ and just obsessing over that, I actually think that my mental focus would actually be completely self-centered and about me. And not actually, like I'd miss the present moment that God's giving me because I'm obsessing about that. So what I've learned is that this is what it means. To simply remain aware that God is ever-present and that I have to surrender my thoughts to his presence. Now here's the key. 
that I invite him into my thought process. So if I want to take my thoughts captive, I actually need to invite God into my thought process and turn my thoughts into a conversation with him. I'm sure if a psychologist analyzed me, they'd think I was insane. But it's the only way that I've learned to do it is that I just invite Jesus into every thought I have. I'm inviting him into my thoughts and my words right as I'm speaking them to you right now. Now, these examples in the New Testament, I understand that they're foreign to the way that we think as Western Christians. It's interesting because we're not taught to seek God's kingdom first, to make Jesus as our highest priority. We're not taught to live every moment in the spirit or to remain in Christ, to pray continually and turn our thoughts into a conversation with God. That's often not our focus. Even in the church, those things are often not taught or focused on. What our culture says is to teach us to separate our daily life with our spiritual life. It's like running into your teacher like at the grocery store when you're a little kid and you're like, what are you doing here? You're not actually a human being. You're supposed to be in school. You can't separate it like that, but we do it. That's our human nature. And this is obvious. The way to test this, the way to know whether you're aware of God's presence in the moment or whether you're actually unaware, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep, is who is it that's controlling your thoughts, your actions? In other words, is there fruit? Are the fruits of the Spirit part of your everyday life? Are the fruits of the Spirit part of the life of our church? As we make decisions, are we seeking first the kingdom or are we thinking about what we want? And if your life lacks transformation, because God is always renewing us and transforming us and making us new, which means change is an everyday part of a person who's aware of God's presence, who's praying continually, who's seeking first the kingdom of God, you're changing. A lot of things may remain the same, but internally often things change and the internal becomes your external. We have to learn to orient every moment of our lives around God's presence. And if you do that, it'll transform our lives. Listen to what Greg Boyd says. He says, God is alive and active in our present moments. He is the God of the living, not the God of the already past or the not yet present. The great I am, not the great I was or the great I will be. God is present in every moment. He's been present in the past, which we can be thankful for. And he's been present in the future, which gives us great hope. But God is only alive and active now in the present, which is once again, the only thing that's real. So let me ask you, are you awake? Are you aware of God's presence in this moment right now? The only moment we actually have. I want to give you something really practical. I use this. And if you were to come and look at my notes, you would see this. Periodically throughout my sermon notes and, and, and 
in different places, I have little reminders that simply come up and say, are you awake? Now, what I mean by that is, is that that are you awake is my reminder that God is present with me because I forget. Like I get doing stuff. I could be in Jeff. Jeff can do stuff without God. But I need to constantly be reminded that God is present with me. And so I actually practice these actual physical reminders. My phone is programmed to every once in a while throughout the day pop up and say, are you awake? You can put a sticky note on the corner of your computer that just says, are you awake? So that when you're working and you're consumed with your work, you look up and you go, oh, yeah, that's right. God, you're with me. You're here. You're present. I can talk to you. What do you think of the paper I'm writing right now? I really recommend putting sticky notes everywhere in your Bibles, on your fridge, on your computer screens. You should become obsessive about this. The constant question of, are you awake? Are you truly aware of your surroundings? Meaning God's presence. And reorient your priorities and make God your first priority in every moment of your life by inviting him into the moment. You see, God is omnipresent but he wants you to invite him in to that moment. Do life with God. Seek first his kingdom. The worship team can join me. Live by his spirit. Attach yourself to him as the vine. Talk to him continually. Folks, when you put the am I awake symbols all over the place, do you know what that does? It teaches that to become your normal. This is basic psychology. It's, I mean, humans have figured this out. When we orient ourselves to think a different way, we shift in how we think. And so you may start with these constant reminders, but over time don't need them as much because you automatically are reminded of it. It's a practice. It's something that we have to work at. But start very simple. And then talk to him. Every time you look, are you awake? Yeah, God, I am awake. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for who you are. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Be thankful. I, when I wake up in the morning, before I, my feet hit the floor, before I start my tasks, I take a moment, about five minutes, and it's usually not super conscious because I'm trying to wake up. But I try to orient that moment. Okay, God, you're here. Thank you for the breath I'm taking in this moment. Thank you that I'm going to be able to get out of my bed. And thank you for the day that I'm about to have. And please be part of that every waking moment. Now, here's the last thing I want to say before we go into music. Do not spend all your time saying, oh, I don't do this enough. I failed at this. I haven't been able to do this for so long. Or think to yourself, on Monday morning, I'm going to start with this disciplined regiment of becoming aware of God's presence. Because you notice what you just did? You focused on the past and you focused on the future. And that's actually self-centered. Here's what you can do. In this moment, yeah, in the moment in the past, I failed. Can't change it. But I can change my moment right now. And so I'm choosing in this moment 
to be aware of your presence. And you're going to have moments where you miss that, where you forget, where you do your thing, and where we focus on the past, focus on the future. Like, I get that. But take that moment, that reminder to say, yeah, I'm awake. See you in my life. I want you in my life. And I want to talk to you always. In this Christmas season, become aware that it's all about God being with us. That is what we're celebrating. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, it's a time of joy, but it actually scripturally means it's a life of joy. That God is with us.